Dunn spun away, looking, shooting! Dunn with a goal! Well done by morning good afternoon good night good whatever <laughs> welcome to another episode of diaspora united it's andre carlisle i am here with my co-host courtney courtney how are you doing i'm good i'm laughing at the apprehension of good night <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know try to cover all the bases it's all good we're happy to be here talking to y'all again um we are here to talk about Many, many things. The U.S. Women's National Team had some games. There were some also some. There were also some international games. Some NWSL news. Bunch of stuff. We got the Diaspora Awards. We're gonna drop too. Heated and hyped. We got everything. But before we get to all that, um, I know I already introduced Courtney. But Courtney, say hello to the people. Let them know how you're doing. Hello. I am doing. I guess as good as I can be. I had a crazy week last week following. Like the whole week of the championship was absolutely insane. And then right after it, I moved and then there was Thanksgiving and dressed. There was a lot going on in my world, but doing as good as I could be. And I did not wake up at four o'clock this morning to watch the U.S. Women's National Team because I knew better. And I said, if I do this, I will feel like I'm dying all day. So I did not. Yeah, yeah, y'all. As was tweeted, we chose sleep. Um, so that, that was the, the selection. That was the official choice of Diaspora United. Um, we did not get up to watch it. It was a friendly, was a good game, did rewatch it, uh, and we'll talk about it. But yeah, there, there was no Olympics, you know, there was, it was a friendly and, you know, I just, I, it was going to mess up my week. So I just decided, you know what, I'll watch it later. So yeah, sorry if y'all were expecting us to live tweet, uh, we'll get most of them. <laughs> we skipped this it- I was like, it was not going to happen. Now, the fact that I actually have to do things, like <laughs> I'm now fully employed and expected to do things. <laughs> I was right. like, I cannot. I mean, the Olympics are like, the only reason why I was acceptable during the Olympics is that Loki, everyone at work was still watching the Olympics or keeping an eye on it. So it was like, okay to drop the ball. You can't just do that on a, a Tuesday in November. <laughs> Facts. Facts. We decided not to. We, we chose sleep and uh, job security. Important. Um, all right, let me go ahead and uh, and do what we usually do. Let me read a review from you guys. We love it when y'all review the podcast. Please do that. If you listen to us on an app that allows you to review, please drop a little review. You don't have to say a lot. You just say a little something. Um, the more reviews, the better. Uh, the more five-star reviews, obviously, the better. Helps people find us, helps the podcast grow, uh, which is always a good thing. We really appreciate it. So like this review right here from Nicole Lee H. I like this one titled Top Women's Soccer Podcast. Already off to a good start. It says, this is the first nice. podcast I tune into each week. I very much appreciate Andre and Courtney's analysis and the much needed attention given to black women in soccer. Look, we love to hear that. Um, yeah, people are truly so nice. Truly, all, all these people, so nice. Sometimes <laughs> almost a little bit overwhelming. So I'm like, y'all are <laughs> genuinely so nice every week. Um, but yeah, thank you, Nicole. What do you said, Nicole H? Nicole Lee H. Nicole Lee H. Thank you so much for leaving a review. And if you guys leave a review, there's a good chance we'll read it out on the podcast. And it is really so helpful because the more reviews we have, the higher on the rankings list that we are. And it really helps people find us. Yep, yep. So we're going to hit up some news and we're going to kind of just tick these off, you know, like one item at a time. We're not going to really do a huge deep dive. We'll probably do a bit of a deep dive 
on the U.S. Women's National Team game since we both did focus on those. Uh, but mostly we're going to do the Diaspora United Awards, the NWSL Awards. Uh, we'll make sure we, you know, they'll be NWSL specific since that season just ended. Um, but yeah, uh, Courtney, do you want to get us started with the first bit of news? Yes, breaking this morning, uh, we learned that Sam Mewis was traded from the North Carolina Courage to Kansas City Current. And in return, Kiki Pickett was sent to North Carolina, which I think is a really, really good pickup for North Carolina because at times that defense was questionable last year. Um, But also (laughs) Kiki Pickett is going to be a rising star uh, in the next season and so it's really, really excited to honestly make it a little bit easier to see us or for us to watch her because we can just go and drive down to North Carolina if like you ever wanted to. It's much closer than trying to go to Kansas City. So shout out to Kiki Pickett. Yeah, this was a this was a surprise trade to me, to be completely honest with you. Like I, I'm I know that this is gonna be extremely chaotic offseason. I mean, the NWSL offseasons are always chaotic in terms of player movement. I know the CBA is hoping to limit some of that or at least give players choices. Uh, but that CBA has not been finalized just yet. Uh, so we and we have a double expansion draft plus a college draft. So I know a whole lot of stuff is happening. I just I, I got to be honest, I didn't expect it to happen already. I thought all this was going to kind of kick off much closer to the draft or maybe during the draft and we were all going to lose our minds. But NWSL decided, no, you're going to lose your mind right now and you're going to continue to lose your mind for weeks on in. I just got to get ready for it, I guess. I know. Truly, this morning was like, and the chaos begins. Uh, And now every day is just going to be more and more chaotic. But also in news, uh, Sarah Gordon, who we hope to get on the pod one day. uh, Please. If you know Sarah, please, please tell her we're we're, we're begging. We, at full disclosure, I asked. I asked in the week leading up to the championship game, which was probably not the best timing. So I'm not I'm not blaming anybody. <laughs> it was just me being like, you know what? It'd be dope to talk to Sarah about the championship. But uh, yeah, apparently everybody else had that thought, and it was and she was quite busy. But yes, uh, Sarah, if you're listening, or if anybody out there knows Sarah, please, we would love to have you on. Oh, literally, I would I would truly die. Um, but also one of our uh, picks for defender of the year that we've been talking about this entire time. Uh, but yeah, Sarah Gordon is rumored to be going to Angel City. Uh, which I think is honestly a great pickup for Angel City. Um, Sarah Gordon has been an absolute rock and has truly has had the season of her career this past season. So good for her and also good for Angel City. This means we also get to see uh, the, let's say the reunification, the reuniting yes. of Sarah Gordon and Kristen Press. Yes, I was going to say, if you're going to start a team, if you're going to start an expansion team, getting Sarah Gordon and Kristen Press is the way to do it in like an ideal scenario. So I am absolutely here for this. And honestly, I know the last episode, I mentioned to y'all that I was supremely disappointed in those Angel City kits. I guarantee you Sarah Gordon going to show us all how to rock it. So I'm ready. Oh, 1 million percent. I, as soon as that happened, I said the fits she's going to wear at Bank of California Stadium. The fits are going to be absolutely spectacular. Like, I'm so excited for it. And I'm also, I tweeted this earlier, I'm super excited to see her across many a billboard in and throughout Los Angeles. So shout out to Sarah Gordon. Um, but also some other news, Nichelle Prince just signed a new contract or a contract extension uh, with the Houston Dash. So she'll be in Houston through 2024. 
Love that. I like seeing the extensions as well. Uh, that's something we don't see enough. And that's one thing also that players have, have been, you know, kind of vocal about. You you don't really have a, a chance to like put down roots in a place because, you know, the longer the longest contract usually in the NWSL is like what, two years, there may be an option or whatever. So it's good. Obviously it's to 2024. Obviously that's like the, what, three seasons. So that is good. Um, and yeah, it seems like she really fits into their system, does does well, is appreciated there, I hope, I believe so. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see Nichelle Prince continue to grow, uh, and hopefully uh, they're able to figure out, or, or the coach is able to figure out how to like commit to a style <laughs> so that they can just turn her loose and let her ball out. Because when she balled out, when they when they allowed her to just go out there and ball out, it she was, balled it out. was problems. Yeah, it, it was problems. She was embarrassing people left and right, embarrassing people left and right. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Truly, exactly. Uh, and also, some news as of yesterday. Yeah, that was yesterday. Today is Tuesday. Anyway, um, as of yesterday, Alexia Puteas was announced as the Ballon d'Or winner. Uh, I think, honestly, if you've been watching Woso at all this year, you very much expected expected it coming she was absolutely spectacular this entire season uh andre i think you called her a a robotron and you basically <laughs> called her a robot yeah i've called her a cyborg i've called her a supercomputer just just her her the processing of the entire pitch that she has while standing on the pitch like it's almost like she has a bird's eye view and can see everything it's like she's playing fifa and you shouldn't be able to have like the broadcast view while you're on the ground you know with your point of view is like on the pitch so it's kind of wild every time you see a player be able to execute a pass or execute or, or come up with something that like you don't even see. And you have the angle to be able to see all the players in your picture. Right. And you don't even see it. And she routinely does stuff like that. Just an unbelievable player. Yeah, she is absolutely unbelievable. One thing that I know was not purposeful, but I very much enjoyed how her and Messi and Messi's kids were all matching. <laughs> they were all wearing that black uh, sequins, which I deeply appreciated. Um, but one thing I did not appreciate from the Ballon d'Or announcement was, besides the fact that the list was just extra white, like white. it was so deeply white, Ashley Lawrence was number eight. I really want to fight uh, the France Football Federation. I, or whoever makes this award. I know it's France football. That's at least what their Twitter handle is. How, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> Second of all, she was literally instrumental. I know from the Olympics and Canada's gold medal win, everyone was talking about Christine Sinclair and Jesse Fleming. And while they were both really great during the tournament, Ashley Lawrence was the key to their success. She was not balling out going forward. She was a rock at the back, especially when so many teams, I feel like now always are trying to play get in behind, play on the wings. She was literally so spectacular. And also, we know in general with women's football, for the most part, it's kind of shifting, but not really, um, that there's still so much focus on the international game and when you were playing with your country. And so the fact that she was still put at number eight is so deeply disrespectful. No, I'm not saying give her the Ballon d'Or, because I think for a lot of us, Alexia Puteas, it was very clear, but she should at least be top five. Number eight, are you are you kidding me? Like, truly, yeah. are you kidding me? And also with that, if you want to talk about her club career, PSG literally just came off a title run. Like, a huge title. Their first title ever. <laughs> and she's still at number eight. I'm pissed. I'm so mad. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with everything there. Like, I, I just, it's, I, I'm going to caveat this before I go into my 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 frustrations that I hate having to care about these these awards because I feel like decisions are made and there's no accountability for them. And there's really no transparency about them. And there's like the criteria shifts 
right? Like, not to take it to men's soccer, but there's no reason why the goalkeeper of the year shouldn't have been Edouard Mendy from from Chelsea. Dude was incredible and won the Champions League, so I don't really understand how uh, uh, he doesn't win. But it's the same thing in this situation. Like, obviously, I agree with you. (laughs) Right? Like, Alexia Pateas should have won, but the problem is... What is the measuring system? Because if your measuring system is putting Ashley Lawrence at eight after the season that she had, winning a gold medal with Canada, and just being one of those players, like in the women's game, we see so much now, like your outside backs are so, so important. They need to be able to attack, but also defend. And it's not necessarily like the role was back in the day, like they can like sort of push up, like, no, you actually really need them to be a threat on both ends of of the pitch and be able to shut down their flank. And also contribute to attacks. And she did a brilliant job. Also, like Courtney was saying, she was very instrumental in making sure that they could, that Canada could keep the ball, could possess the ball, always had an outlet and also a dangerous outlet as well. So like, yeah, I, there was, and then of course, being part of that PSG team. I mean, we know, we talked about it at the time, right? Like Lyon had the, what, it was 14 seasons in a row that they had won and PSG takes them out and PSG took them out of the uh, of the Champions League as well and Ashley Lawrence was a big part of that so like yeah I just it, yes not winning it but number 8 is disrespectful truly deep deep disrespect I wanted I wanted it, that trophy for Edu I think he's spectacular and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Chelsea fan like he's actually a really a top guy, a top yeah. class keeper um but also in rounding out some NWSL news it has been rumored that Amanda Cromwell uh, UCLA women's soccer coach is headed to the Orlando Pride, uh, which is interesting for a number of reasons because we don't really see at, like college coaches jump into the NWSL, uh, like with the exception of the case of um, Orlando's former coach, well, former interim coach Becky Burley. Um, but for example, we saw that one of Gotham's assistant coaches went to the college level, like. I feel like we're seeing a lot more often of coaches in the NWSL going to college, but not necessarily college coaches coming to the NWSL. So that's pretty groundbreaking in its own right. Uh, But the more interesting thing is that Amanda Cromwell is a founding investor for Angel City. Andre, how do you feel about this? (laughs) Um, Loaded question. Uh, I'm obviously we don't know everything. I would assume that she's going to have to be forced to divest from the team. I'm pretty sure that had to already happen before she was announced as the coach. So I'm fairly certain that that's the case, but would like that to be confirmed. (laughs) It's a good idea. Uh, Supreme conflict of interest there. Seems a little weird would be one of those automatic steps. But yeah, honestly, this hire, I did not expect. I thought that job at UCLA was actually very good. I know they had a disappointing end to their season, uh, losing quite early in the in the College Cup. But I was very surprised to see this move, and that's this to me means like if teams are actually going to invest, if teams are actually going to make themselves attractive destinations, not only for players but for coaches, we could see a lot more college to pro because that's really the main reason why we didn't right like UCLA. It, facilities are incredible right that that college has a ton of money um as well and normally you don't want to trade that instability or that stability for instability of an nwsl you know club where who knows if the club's going to be around you know we've seen so many clubs bounce and like utah gone and we've seen so many of those things so it's really really weird but i think that um oh my god we just got um sorry just got some breaking news here um wowzers do you want me to jump in? Uh, uh, yeah, please jump in. 
Okay. Um, well, also the interesting thing, and I know this, so this is a fun fact uh, for anyone who did not know, but because UCLA is a public university, basically for all public universities around the country, you can submit these things called FOIA requests, it's Freedom of Information Act, we're getting a little bit into the journalism weeds, but the interesting thing is that you can look up salaries. So it's really fascinating, like if you're just bored one day, just like look up all the salaries for like big college, like big college programs. Um, so you can like look up like Amanda Cromwell and out of UCLA, Steve Swanson out of Virginia, like the Florida State head coach, like there, Anson Dorrance, like there are so you can just kind of go and all look this up. Um, and so when you do look this up, you see like some of these college coaches are making over like over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Most of them, especially if you know they've been there for a long time, have make over two hundred thousand dollars a year, um, which is quite simply like something that you're probably not going to make as an NWSL coach, like. Quite simply, like if you are, <laughs> if your player salaries, if your player salary minimum is what I think this year is twenty two thousand dollars. Andre, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, in the low twenty thousand range, um, if that's what you're playing your players, like you are, you are really not going to be paying your coaches a lot of money, which is why I think it's part of the reason, besides the instability and facilities and all those things, where it's like also the pay is not there for a lot of these college coaches. Where it's like if you're a super successful coach, you can go and you know stay at a program for years and years and years and all these things so it's really interesting I also agree she's like she has to divest I like I know we joke about the NWSL sometimes and it being like kind of janky but you can't not have Amanda Crummel divest from Angel City like it's absolutely ridiculous um so yeah yeah I think that's a good point and I appreciate the the salary help as well because that that's a big part of it obviously as well as you just normally don't see that jump because of facilities salary you know job security all of that and I apologize for getting distracted there but Washington Post just dropped um some news apparently uh this is, I'm gonna read the tweet directly from at soccer insider it says with NWSL expansion draft looming and only allowed to protect nine players champion Washington spirit are trading left back Tegan McGrady to newcomer San Diego Wave, sources say. Details expected Wednesday. Good Lord. I have so many Good. things on my brain right now. Um, I, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, Tegan. I hope this was her choice. Um, I know she is from California, so I do hope that this was her choice. I have no idea who would be executing this trade. The person who did it, uh, the person or people, as it's been reported, certainly with all the reporting that's gone on in the front office with the spirit, so Larry Best and Steve Baldwin. Larry Best is no longer with the team, but Steve Baldwin has yet to sell the team. And I'm really, really wondering if he made this decision and why, if he did, um, if it was Tegan's decision. Like, I have a lot in my brain right now, and I don't, I don't love it. I love it for her if she's happy and this is what she wanted. If none of that is true or if some of that is only, like, part of the way true, I'm upset. So yeah, a, a lot to process and you're hearing it, I guess, <laughs> real live reaction on the podcast. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, truly live on air. Um, yeah, I also hope that it was, you know, her decision. Um, we do know that Casey Stoney right now, for example, has kind of been building maybe uh, some new, you know, new defense, all that. Because uh, also I don't think, maybe we talked about it last podcast on the crossover. Um <laughs> that Abby Dahlkemper is going to San Diego as well. Um, I can't lie. For some reason, when I see San Diego wave, I think it's San Diego Wave. It doesn't make any sense. You just have to like, let me live with this one. It's from Mikro Wave, that really hilarious video. I see it's wave. Amazing. 
it's San Diego Wave. Um. Listen, I've been saying Rossing, and people are like, people are now coming up to me like, can you like, I don't want to be rude. Can you just let me know why you say Rossing? And I'm like, you're not rude. I understand it's weird, but I'm committed now. So I'm glad that you finally have one of these. It can be just as weird as me. I mean, I will probably eventually say San Diego Wave, but right now I read it and I think San Diego Wave. It's also just kind of funny to me for it to be Wave. Um, <laughs> truly more than anything else. So yeah, breaking news live on the pod. Um, also in some news that we learned today, we learned, uh, that the NLRB certified the successful unit unionization. That's a big old word, uh, for pro officials from the NWSL and USL. That's what the professional soccer referees association, also known as PSRA announced today. Um, we have some thoughts about it the first thought i that comes to mind is like it is good that these refs are going to be unionized we know about um really really terrible pay for refs i mean honestly pay in women's soccer in general is not great across the board uh for players for referees like we know that the facilities for referees are really really bad at um at times too and so when we keep talking about how the referees you know need to get better just stop having sometimes calamitous decisions. Um, this is a part of it, you know, having like, I hope this means that like all the refs will be mentored better and, you know, have the opportunity to become better referees, but also that the pay is there. So that way it's not like a having to balance three different jobs, to try to be a ref. All like all of that kind of plays into how these people perform as referees. Um, so that is a good thing. But Andre, I know that we uh, talked about this a bit uh, before we started recording, but the fact that the NWSL and USL re- are currently sharing referees and that the referees on the same level is a mess. Like it shouldn't be that way. Like the NWSL is a top tier professional league in this country. They need to be on the same level as MLS. Yeah, that was the thing. One of the things, one of the things that really stood out to me is that they were coming at it, you know, as the USL, which is, you know, lower division in American men's soccer and NWSL were putting out this statement together, both requesting, first of all, they requested that PRO, which is the Professional Referee Organization, um, that's who all the referees ref under, they wanted them to recognize the union voluntarily. PRO decided not to do that. And so they had to go to the to NLRB and present their case and have a board vote on it so that they could be recognized as official. And they got that, which is great. But really, when you read this little release and see exactly what they're asking for, it's actually kind of frustrating that they had to do all this just to be able to ask for. Basically, what they're asking for is help us do our job better. Right. Like that's what the ask is. Like we want to collectively bargain. We want to we want to be able to improve the standards of for officials in the NWSL and the USL. And that's what they're trying to get done. And PRO is really working against them, it seems, in doing this. So they kind of had to force the ability them to be recognized as a union. Now it's like, okay, now that we're official, can you now work with us, PRO, and help us with what we're asking help with help for, which is to get better. So I we've talked a lot, you know, and I specifically talk a lot about the state of refereeing in the NWSL and how they have to protect the players, but this is part of it. I think one of the things to do is actually obviously look for the root cause of the issues. And if the referees are telling, trying to tell their organization like, hey, we want to be treated professionally. We want help. We want your guys' guidance. We want training. We want all of these things then the thing to do now is to put pressure on PRO because they're the ones who can do it. So 
P-R-O referees. That is their Twitter at, at P-R-O referees. Don't be nasty if you go to them, but just say, hey, let's go. This is what they're asking for. Please help them out because I don't, like, there's really nothing else to do. It seems like there's a lot of hesitancy. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to go through this move in order to just simply be recognized. This should be something that's happening internally as a joint decision, and it certainly has not been. So even though individual referees need to get better, they're asking for it. And hopefully, now that this is official, there can be a lot of pressure put on PRO to be able to make sure that the standard improves in the future. Because <laughs> obviously, like I was, I was going to say, try to say something like, I don't know, uh, like, like forward thing, but it's really like, it's help them do their job, right? Like that's, what they, that's, what they're just, that, that's all they're asking for. And you're already doing the terrible thing of putting it on the same level as the USL when they're not. I mean, this is the most competitive and the, the most fully talented, best um, stacked in terms of talent. Um, league in the in america men's or women's and you're and they're treating it second class not even second class because they're not even trying to recognize it or help the referees grow so they have to do much better and hopefully this is a step towards forcing them to do so yeah 100 percent. i mean it's kind of crazy that like i know for the players we are always talking about how they just quite simply need the basics um but truly so many so many factors of women's soccer in this country, uh, at least at the professional level, just, they quite simply just need the basics. Um, so yeah, moving on, we're just going to run over some pretty interesting, let's say, uh, scores from this previous international break before we uh, take a quick break and then dive into the U.S. women's national team and their two games against Australia. Uh, first, we saw France beat Kazakhstan 6-0 with goals from Asayi Cascarino. Uh, Marie Antoinette Katutu, aka Katoto, <laughs> Govon, and Dali. I'm mad at you. And then, <laughs> I knew you were going to get mad if I did that. Uh, and then we also saw uh, France beat Wales two to nil. Yeah, I know Wales is good, and uh, and honestly, I didn't watch this game, but I saw some clips, and uh, yeah, uh, it seems like just Fishlock really balled out. Should have had a goal. Uh, France getting scored in the 90th minute, uh, in the really the 40 uh, stoppage time of the first half and in the 90th minute. So this, even though the scoreline reads almost as a comfortable 2-0 win, it was not. Uh, probably should have and could have been a 1-1, maybe even a 1-2. And the only reason I would say this is because before it gets real and before the World Cup in 2023, I need France's coach to get out the paint because she is holding back a golden generation and has been doing it for far too long, making very weird decisions, doing very weird things, and I'm fed up. Like, I'm tired. Like, like this team is way too talented to be held back by a coach. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Um, when, like, when you think about, because we know, you know, oftentimes club, club play can inform national team play, um, especially for so many of the national teams and the league's in women's soccer like the majority of the players that are on the national team really are playing in their domestic leagues and when you think about this like how stacked Lyon PSG are like so many of these clubs and I mean and on the flip side we for example really see it with Spain and Barcelona where what I think today was like nine out of the starting 11 play for Barcelona and you can see it on the field when you have such a powerhouse team together so the fact that we're not seeing that for France when it's like, you know, the quality of player, it like, to me, it goes back to the coach. Um, but also we know that there are not, I'm going to try to put this nicely, but <laughs> uh, 
Um, there have, uh, I don't, I don't know how, how do I describe this? Uh, <laughs> let's say like, not the players aren't always happy. Um, we know that several players have talked about, you know, not necessarily wanting to play for the coach, um, kind of, you know, maybe a few similar things that we heard about Jill Ellis. Um, but yeah, to me, like if France wants to like take it up a notch that we're seeing a lot of, to be frank, like we're seeing a lot of, uh, teams in Europe like national teams in Europe are doing, um, they're going to need a new coach, quite simply. They're just going to need a new coach. Also just wanted to mention the two matches that Brazil has uh, played over this international break. The first one, which we saw, was the final match for Formiga. I was in my feelings the whole time. Just super emotional. She almost scored at the very end. And then Marta surprised her. I was just deep emo. I'm going to talk about this later. Uh... (laughs) because I'm real mad about what happened uh, specifically with Pia. Um, But yeah, they beat Brazil, or sorry, Brazil beat India six to one. Um, Honestly, that match was fire. Like (laughs) India, it's a great counterattacking team. I I know that they played a a few more matches uh, this international window, but honestly, it was fire. Like (laughs) seeing them uh, counterattack, it was fun. So they're definitely one to... um, I think especially when we're talking about, uh, I think, the what the AFC um, Cup is coming up, but also, you know, their World Cup qualifications, things like that. Uh, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then also the other match, they beat uh, Venezuela 4-1 to as well. Um, honestly, from these matches, Caroline has been balling. We also saw from that Venezuela match, we saw the beauty that was Marta just still disrespecting people left and right that we tweeted a video of that back heel which was just so deeply unnecessary like (laughs) it's really a beautiful thing but it was so deeply unnecessary but yeah caroline was absolutely balling so was debinia i mean (laughs) debinia said hey y'all i heard that y'all didn't put me in any uh in none of the best 11s for the nwsl i don't care I'm about to start banging goals off your forehead. Uh, and she's really been balling these past two matches. And Brazil has one more match uh, before they finish out this international break playing Chile. So yeah, that's it for some international news and some NWSL news. Uh, and we're going to take a quick break and we're going to dive into the U.S. Women's National Team and then give our version of the NWSL awards, uh, including something that we attended before the Diaspora United Community Shields, because of course we have one, because why not? <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll take it to heated hype and take it out. So we'll be right back. All right, and we are back. Andre, we saw the U.S. Women's National Team go down under and play two friendlies against Australia, winning the first three to nil with uh, Lynn Williams and Midge Purse getting assists, and then tying the second match one to one. And Midge also got an assist. Uh, and we're gonna, you know, dive a little bit deeper into these matches. Uh, but the first thing off the bat is that two players that we were really excited to see and we didn't were Katarina Macario, and we learned that she had a groin injury uh, and was out of the first match and then after the first match we learned that she went back to Lyon for rehab Uh, and then we also saw Sophia Smith uh, get into concussion protocol and so she didn't play in either matches as well. 
yeah what what in the world was going on in training camp down there like i I was i was like that's just really unfortunate to fly all that way and to not be able to get on the pitch especially with those two players and honestly I was quite disappointed. I mean, already, you know, we, we know about the opt-outs, you know, with Mal Pugh and Trinity Robin not being there. So that was that was already like, okay, well, we're not going to quite have the new generation, complete new generation just yet. But, you know, you're thinking, okay, you're still going to have Kat and Sophia. And we know that Kat's been balling with Leon. And we know that Sophia has just become deeply, deeply disrespectful uh, on the professional level. So I was really looking forward to those two and seeing what they were going to be able to do. And we weren't able to see that. So they did start off with a little bit of sadness. I will say I was a little bit disappointed, um, but we still had Mitch Purse in the front line. Uh, We still had Lynn Williams in the front line. That was really exciting. And honestly, Emily Fox as well. And Sofia Huerta. We're looking at new fullbacks. Looks looks quite good. Um, We're going to talk about, right, we're going to talk about that as well. But, but, you know, firstly, I wanted to kind of talk about Lynn. Because I think she had two very good games, very very good games. Didn't get didn't get a goal, but certainly created plenty. I think even even the match that I had to rewatch, the one that kicked off at four a.m. that we didn't get up for, uh, she had multiple <laughs> passes that were just dimes, absolute dimes. I believe in the second minute she curled one around a defender and hit Ashley Ashley Hatch in stride, and Hatch kicked it, and uh, Tegan Micah, the Australian's goalkeeper was able to save it. Um, kind of didn't know anything about it. Just kind of did the goalkeeper thing of making yourself big and hoping the ball hit her. And it did, but it was a gorgeous assist. And then she kind of had the pre-assist for uh, for Hatch's goal anyway, because she hit a lovely ball connecting across the pitch. Um, ball went straight, basically through the box and Midge Purse was able to get on it. And then the thing I loved about this was when Midge, Midge Purse got the ball, like she kind of stood there because the defend she knew the defender knew you don't step to Mitch. You're going to lose a 1v1 battle <laughs> if you step to Mitch, so don't do it. So Mitch just kind of stands there and waits for Ashley Hatch's run because the defender is like, I'm stuck. I can't go towards Midge because she's going to roast me, and I can't really back up or anything or give her any space. She's really kind of had her stuck, like frozen, and it was so great to see that respect that Midge was like already commanding. Like, yeah, you're not going to come out here. I'm just going to stand here and wait to collect the assist, and she did. It was great. <laughs> Andre, you know why you can't step to Mitch first? You can't body her. <laughs> Go ahead and do because it. she will hit you with the Mega the Stallion real realness with a body yada 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 yada. Yes, that was my, my brainchild. <laughs> <laughs> that was one hundred percent my brainchild. <laughs> when it comes to Twitter, I've been on one this week with me and my brain are just being a whole little bit sleepy. I'm deeply uh, but yeah, she will hit you with that you. body yada yada yada. Honestly, if we would not get copyright strike, we should play this song right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you you can't step to Mitch. He will literally embarrass the living life out of you. It's uh, quite spectacular. But yeah, I also think um, I thought Lynn also had really, really great games. Like, it's, I don't know, it's really, really funny to me seeing, like, thinking about if we, you know, go a little bit back in time uh, and think about all the lead up to the Olympics and we were seeing, um Lynn getting so so much playing time like really you know at times leading the offensive line getting in behind defenders just using her quickness like all these things um because also <laughs> until you see Lynn Williams play in person you like don't you're like oh she's quick and then you see it in, in person and you're like how's that how's this actually yeah. possible yes how are you just quite simply so quick um and I think just her like <laughs> the my thing is this team does not function in the same way when she is not on the field. 
like Facts. in terms of what Vlaka wants them to do, in terms of the style he wants them to play at times, high pressing, you know, winning the ball back, trying to, you know, play quickly and behind all, like all of these things that he's wanted them to do at times. The team is significantly better at doing those things when Lynn Williams is on the field. And so I hope that all of her naysayers decide to take a seat and just be quiet. Um, but also, like, these two games really show how important she is to this team. Um, and also, on the other side, talking about, like, literally the other side of the field, I mean, look, I get to watch Midge in person all the time. And she just balls out quite simply every single time. Uh, and I'm super, I'm like, from this, I'm just happy that she is actually being brought in as a forward. And, uh, you know, there's no, oh, is she going to play forward today? Is she going to play outside back? Not only is that hard to do as, like, as a player, because, and I mean, Crystal Dunn has talked about this all the time of like, oh yeah, I'm thinking of one way. And then I have to completely shift my thinking. And then sometimes they'll like do that with Midge just quite simply in the, in the same game. And it's like, mm, there's that Harvard degree going real hard at work <laughs> of like, yeah, I'm thinking as forward. Oh no, cool. In this exact same game, I have to think of, think as an outside back. Um, but I also thought she was really, really great. These two games as well, notch two assists. Always. It's always great to get, um, you know, more and more assists under, her name, and I also thought Ashley Hatch played really well. Like she, she scored two goals, um, and you know, scoring on your debut debut is nice. But uh, yeah, like her run, like look, there are new things coming to this U.S. front line, and I I'm very excited about those things that are happening. Yeah, I think uh, Lynn Lynn really should have had two or three more assists. I mean, she really was playing very well, and she really did put the ball in some really really great places. And I really also think, you know, I do I do want to give a little shout out to Ashley Hatch as well. I think she played very well. She played better than I expected her to play, and that's not like no shade or anything. It's just that she has grown in confidence, particularly it seems like ever since Richie Burke left. And I think it's because they're um, what the Spirit have done is utilized and accessed more parts of her game. And we're seeing that she actually has a lot more to her game than originally believed because she was just there on the spirit to kind of be like the the, the final piece of the puzzle, right? <laughs> After all their passing and all the possession and everything, they finally work out the ability to be able to roll the ball right to Ashley Hatch's foot and she taps it over the line. That's kind of what they were trying to do. And she can do a lot more than that, we're seeing. And I think this season was a big confidence boost for her. So yeah, that was really good to see um, as well. Wanted to also talk about Emily Fox. Oh, I thought you were going to say Alana Cook. And I'm so excited oh, we can talk about Alana Cook because Alana <laughs> Cook was amazing as well. I was going to get there. We we're going to get there. Uh, but I wanted to talk about Emily Fox real quick just because I think she had a tough assignment. I'm going to talk about Lindsay Horan, so prepare yourselves. I'm going to talk about her later. Uh, but she had a tough assignment. She was having to deal with Haley Rasso and Ellie Carpenter on that uh, left side. And I think she held up. She held up well, especially in the match today, the second match. Um, she was in Rosso's head like early because Rosso had like a ball where she thought she had an angle and Emily Fox just turned it on and just positioned herself to get in between her and the ball and just never let her get close to it. And Rosso was getting quite upset. So like I love that aspect of it, but then also her awareness and obviously not 100% polished yet. She doesn't make always make the correct decision, but she makes very, very good decisions. And I think the things that she needs to improve on are things that you can actually easily improve on with more game time and more experience. So I was really, really pleased to see her. Ellie Carpenter is a beast. She is one of the best fullbacks in the world. And I think that Emily Fox was right there with her step for step. And that honestly is saying a whole lot. And of course, the Emily Fox praise means 
that once once baby done is here and everything, and if Crystal continues to play after that, the done in the oven. Exactly. Once the done in the oven is out and done, fully cooked, then it's time <laughs> for Crystal Dunn Not fully cooked. in the midfield for the U.S. Women's <laughs> National Team. And I know exactly where she can play and who she can replace. I mean, first of all, facts. I know we're going to get there. Um, yeah, I thought at, at points I did feel a little bit bad um, for Emily Fox because there were definitely times when she was caught out of position. But that came from really what Waka was asking her to do. But also <laughs> for the fact that, uh, I'll, you know, I'll just launch us into this. Like Lindsay Horan wasn't Let's really midfielding. Uh, and so def- there were definitely at times where it was like, even in the first match where it was like, hello, uh, our midfield looks like Swiss cheese, <laughs> just holes everywhere, quite simply. Uh, and, you know, people were talking about, OK, well, Andy Sullivan had to cover a lot of ground. And it's like, hmm, why did she have to cover a lot of ground? Uh, hum, why did it kind of feel like Emily Fox was constantly having to play at two minds, something that we've seen Crystal Dunn do time and time again? Truly, so many times, and the U.S. has been saved so many times by Crystal Dunn's, you know, awareness, recovery, speed, all, all the things. Um, and so when, like, and I mean, I said this, and it sucks, but you cannot play Emily Fox and Lindsay Horan together because if Lindsay does not midfield and like start covering when Emily Fox, Emily Fox likes to float, which is to me one of like her greatest attributes it's yeah, like sometimes all of a sudden she's like all of a sudden she's like a striker and at, yeah. and then one point i'm like like from half my brain i'm like what are you doing like if if a player if like they just play the ball that way it's like so fully out of position but also on the other half i'm like this is great <laughs> like like this is absolutely hilarious that she just floats but you can't have a fullback that likes to float and even though she's a great defender and has you know is doing all the right things like she does quite simply like to float and that changes the dynamic of your back line when that does happen and then having a midfielder right in front of her that also likes to float like we talk so much about the importance of you know balance across the board um and so when you have the two of them playing together it quite like it's not great um because they both like you know to float and change positions and move around and all those things but also and i think this kind of happens generally is when we see in modern football when we see you know those outside backs getting forward, you know, getting into attacking positions. When that happens, for the most part, there, um, and to be fair, most teams play with like either holding midfielder or a box box eight or like a few holding midfielders. You know, I kind of think sometimes um, about, let's say, like Liverpool's men's team, but like you have a person <laughs> that is back there to like help contain the space that your your fullback has now left to go get in and like you know get into attacking areas and and those things. And when you don't have a player, for example, like Lindsay Horan, who's not diligent positionally, it's going to cause problems and it's going to make it easy. Like it's going to make it super easy, quite simply for teams to hit you on the counter and score. Yeah. And actually I want to go back real quick. Cause I, I, when I was talking about Lynn Williams assist, I actually was thinking of the assist that Emily Fox hit in the second minute. Um, Lynn's was later on in the game. So my bad, I got it mixed up, but yeah, I want to, want to go back to Horan as well, because honestly, I want people to rewatch the game, particularly the first half, but you can rewatch the whole game and just count the number of turnovers. Cause honestly, for me, it's not even the fact that she, and obviously that for a midfielder, it is bad to not be in midfield. <laughs> Generally speaking, uh, you want to be in midfield as a midfielder. So it's what you're there to do. But 
uh, we we always understand and we know that her game is playing really really high. She gets up sometimes. She just completely replaces the central striker. Like in the in the first game, you remember when she just straight up took the ball from Morgan Weaver in the box? Like that was just weird. I was like, what are you doing? So yeah, sense. like that was just that was just weird. But like if you're going to do that, you cannot also then give away high turnovers or the turnovers that you can't, that you're not in position. Like you have to be more careful with the ball, right? You have to protect the ball better if you're going to be playing that that high because then you're just creating, like as soon as we lose the ball, it's all of a sudden a mismatch coming the other way. And that's why I really, really, really think, and, and I really want people to rewatch that match. And just just look, if you don't like take away the number 10, take away the name Haran, just watch her as objectively as you can and see how many times she gave the ball away and see how many times that she's nowhere to be found on that left side and you've got an overlap happening, you know, going going at Fox, or you've got a player leaking by. Some of that's on Fox and positioning, but some of that, as we we've said this during the Olympics, you can't really expect somebody one player to cover two. And so you really need to make sure that whoever's tracking back, that there's either somebody's blocking the run or they're tracking the run. And that rarely happens with this team when Haran is in the midfield. So personally, I think, like I've said, this isn't personal against her. I think she's a really good player. I just think she's playing the wrong position. Yeah, thinking about, for example, her cup club play with Portland and the absolutely immaculate season that Angela Salem had. Like, but also part of that was that she quite simply was everywhere and like, you know, trying to pull swings and uh sorry, pull strings and defend and all those things. But if you don't have if you either like to me, the only way that you could have Lindsay Horan like stay in the midfield is you have to start playing like either two holding or just like a holding in a clear box to box. Like you can't just have one holding and then like two purely attacking midfielders because you're going to need that balance and you don't want teams to basically figure out tactically, which a lot of teams did to the U.S. Women's National Team, especially we saw it in the Olympics. Um, honestly, we saw that hole really, really dominated by Sweden um, and with Crystal Dunn tr- quite simply at times having to defend three people because they knew they could completely exploit that side um, because there was no tracking back and things like that. So like the only way, for example, for that to happen is by playing two holding midfielders, but that's not the, like, that's quite simply not the style that the U S plays. So it's like you, like you have to do a positional change. Yeah. Yeah. I I just really, I really want people to to take a look at it because it's not anything personal to her. Like I said, she has, she has definitely has some skills. She definitely has a role on the team. I just think that like, so I tweeted, like, I really want Sam Mewis to come back because I think Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle and Andy Sullivan is a very, very good midfield, but I think they all like to see. Yeah. and, And they all understand the roles of midfield. And I think the midfield will get a lot more defensively sound and and honestly smothering to be quite honest with you because rose has done a has has really improved in her defensive game as well so like yeah i'm that's the midfield i really want to see and you know just honestly put her up there in the in the center forward rotation like it's where she wants to be it's what she does anyway like you gotta roll with it like let it go it's fine uh sorry i I giggled during that because i thought about all the times where like rose will nutmeg you and then but like if you manage to get the ball off her, she'll just quite simply sprint back and take it off you somehow. Yes. Uh, she really has been. Um, that's a, honestly a really good point to point out. She really has been excelling in her um, in her, you know, defending and tracking back and all of those things. Uh, but one person that I want to talk about and I've talked about a few times on the pod, but is Alana Cook. Let's go. Look, I've been speaking on it for a while. Alana Cook. <laughs> I don't want to describe it this way, but I am. Alana Cook is that girl, okay? In the defense, she's that girl. Her, like, there were so many times, especially in that first game, where she was just, like, being, like, truly annoying the living life out of Sam Kerr. 
like her position, like she was in the right position, in the pocket, always at the right time, like just trying to, you know, <laughs> pick Sam's pocket, like tracking her really, really well. There was actually a point um, where uh, it was a point during the second match where, you know, Sam gets the ball and Alana Cook, like <laughs> it was, it's a really, really interesting uh, bit to play. And they actually included it in uh, like Fox or uh, sorry, ESPN's highlight reel from the second uh from the second game but basically the ball is uh the um the ball is coming down the field sam kerr is like kind of doing what sam kerr does and just kind of like floating a little bit and alana cook sees her out of the corner of her eye um and (laughs) sam kerr gets the ball and alana cook is right there on her and basically shepherds her um because at the point sam kerr gets the ball like right on top of the 18 but like pretty close centrally like maybe a little bit to the like the left side but like still pretty central almost pretty close to like right in front of uh like right in front of the goal centrally and but Alana Cook is on her that whole time and literally shepherds her truly across the field going towards the right and I mean Sam Kerr does still get the shot off but her shot goes super wide and it's because Alana Cook is right there putting pressure on her and then she even you know tries to slide in to get a block on the shot but the shot goes like way 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 wide and to me that was like a really good example of just how Alana Cook has like really really grown over the entire course of the season um but really to me like honestly kind of reminds me of um like a young Becky Sauerbrunn where Becky was all like always in the right place always was making the right decision I think like her and Alana are di- like completely different as players but kind of that you can see a little bit of um the similarities in terms of like being in the right positions tracking players trying to throw them off to me Alana Cook just had a really really great like really really great two matches yeah the thing that I like about her too is that um not only is she really good she's really improved her defensive positioning and really just being able to um keep the ball away or just pose a problem and intercept the ball as soon as uh, an attacker gets it um and she rarely is caught in a bad position right she's always able to keep herself just the perfect distance away to make sure that the, the attacker can't get a good clean shot off but also I really like how it seems like she's gotten better and, and definitely improved in her ability to be an outlet and to play the ball out of the back. Like, like, you know, it can be not going to lie. It can be a little, a little dangerous sometimes when you, when, you know, a team has on a high press and you need those touches to be perfect, to be able to make sure that you keep possession, you're able to, to put on, to then deliver a pinpoint pass to make sure that, you know, you maintain possession and don't give up a high turnover and a quick shot at goal. She's been excellent. Like I haven't worried at all with her getting the ball. You know, they they back passes, any type of pass in the air on the ground. She controls it quickly, moves it on. Like I've been really, really impressed and all and really impressed by like how secure I already feel with her getting the ball. And that usually takes a while sometimes, especially with the high pressing game. And Australia was really high pressing, particularly in the second game uh, that the pace of that game was bonkers. And it was comfortable. It was comfortable. Like, yeah, I was like, good, good. Alana's got the ball. She's going to make a good, smart decision. And keep the ball moving forward. So, like, yeah, I I was really, really excited and happy for her performances in these matches as well. Yeah, and also one thing that I uh, do want to add, and actually this is a transition because I know we want to talk about uh, Vlako Swift shifting to a 5-4-1. Vlako, Vlako. I almost spelled out your name, but I decided not to because I thought that was going to take a long time. Why won't you just play three at the back? My guy, you have it. Like, you literally have it. Put Becky in the center. Or you can put, like, Abby Dahlkemper in the center. And put... Alana Cook on one side and Tiernan Davidson on the other side. Why can't we see a three at the back? Like five, I yeah, five four one. 
It's like a very good defensive formation, all the things, but Flacco, just play three at the back. Why can't we see three at the back? Like we have the players to do it. We we do have the players to do it. And also if you think about like there are very we didn't even talk about Sofia Huerta, who truly bought like as soon as she came on in the, se- in the second half of the first game, I was like, Sofia Huerta's starting uh, outside back now, like right this moment. Ball now both games, but like also Sofia Huerta as a wing back is something I'd like to see. But also Vlaco, try something different, please. Let's come on, just just do a three at the back, please. Yeah, um, definitely. Shout out to Sofia Huerta. I thought she was incredible. Um, that that interception she made that led to Midge with the with the what you so eloquently on Twitter described. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I absolutely love her reading that play because they'd been doing that the entire match, and she gets in like, oh, I see y'all ain't gonna do this to me, uh, and it was perfect. It was great. Uh, and she did a lot of other really nice. She had a little back heel too, a little funky back heel in the middle of the pitch. It was great. Like, yeah, she she's on one uh, and she's going to be a great right back option. Honestly, Emily Fox and Sofia Huerta, like I know these matches are friendlies, right? And we're just meant to, you know, it's not the full, it's not the full camp. It's not the full rosters and all that business, but I'm already like, yo, I, the things I learned is that we got fullbacks and Casey Murphy's the goalkeeper. That's pretty much what we got. Uh, and that Lynn Williams is vital, which I already knew anyway. Um, but Let's go back to this 5-4-1 thing because I'm, I don't understand it. This team is too talented to think that you're going to need to do this so often against teams. Like you're going to have to hunker down and squeeze out, you know, a one goal win or whatever. Like that's why I'm, I'm actually really glad, even though it was a wicked deflection, especially if you see the like reverse angle from that ball, it had a wicked, wicked spin. It almost like spun outside of the post and then back in. So that deflection was crazy, but I'm actually almost glad that they got it because I hope Blacko learns his lesson. Like this 5-4-1 thing, I don't understand why he's so obsessed with it. Like he was he was trying it before the Olympics. He did it during the Olympics. Even that god-awful game versus Australia in the Olympics where nobody wanted to do anything, that got that awful game. Then we have this game, you know, the first game, uh, we get out-possessed 60 by 62%. I think Australia has 62% of the possession and we're out-possessed in this game. And honestly, that's because in the last part of the game, we just completely conceded possession to Australia instead of attacking and ended up giving up a goal. Like, I, I, I understand that coaches always want to have control with games, but look, you have one of the most talented teams on the planet. Let them play. If they're defending well all game, let them defend all game. Like, Australia's not, like, you can't, like, Australia's not going to be able to put on a 12th person. Like, you're defending them fine straight up, so defend them fine straight up. If you have to tell the team to take less risk going forward, then sure, do that. But I honestly, he's been so committed to making sure that this team can drop into this 5-4-1, and it just makes them way too flat. They drop too deep. They concede possession. It's all, and it's too easy to get into the attacking third, and our own attacking third. Once we do gain possession, it's very, very difficult to actually build build play out from the back to be able to counterattack. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me, and I wish he would stop. Yeah, I just like, it is, <laughs> you see the attacking talent coming down the pipeline for the national team, like, or people, let's say, who are already in the mix, right? You got Midge Purse, Lynn Williams, you got Trinity Rodman, Mal Pugh, Ashley Hatch, Ashley Sanchez, Morgan Weaver, Bethany Balser. Like the list goes on and on and on, right? And yet (laughs) you go, wow, look at all these attacking superstars that we have. 
let's put them in a super defensive position. <laughs> like, like why? Like it kind of reminds me of thing. I think um, one thing that Scott Parkinson said, where he basically said like, look, we have great players. Like part of the job of coaching is just like not getting in their way and like letting the players play and creating a game that suits them. And I know you're not like 100% supposed to do that at the national team level because it's about systems and, you know, bringing players up and all these other things. But also at the end of the day, like if you want to win games, you have to have your players play. And I think that's also one of the reasons, for example, thinking about Chris Ward and, you know, and shifting game plan from the spirit and just like being like, hello, Trinity Robin is really good. Let's get her the ball more. Hey, let's play a style that really suits Ashley Hatch and Ashley Sand. Like, it's kind of foolish to me at times to go so defensive when you know, I'm going to say, let's, I'll be um, like, let's just say that there are five teams in the world that can like really, uh, or let's say six, let's say there are six teams in the world that like really, really compete with the U S in terms of like attacking talent, defensive stability, goalies, all the things, right? When you like, first of all, you're not going to encounter these people or sorry, these teams often, uh, unless like, cause now we see more, you know, international tournaments coming around. Not everyone's coming. She believes anyway, but it's like, at the end of the day, you have a super solid defense and a crazy, and I mean, crazy strike force. Why are you trying to hamper them? Like, yeah, if you get beat on the counter, yeah, you get beat on the counter. Don't shift into a five, four, one, bring in another holding midfielder. Yeah. I mean, like Julie Ertz still wants to play, right? And now you have Andy Sullivan. Like, put the two of them together. Like, <laughs> like there are truly so many options, and there's the attacking pool for this U.S. Women's National Team. And I didn't even talk about the veterans that are there. You know, Pino. We don't know how much time she has left. Whatever. Like Alex Morgan, <laughs> Kristen Press, like uh, Sid LaRue. First of all, we're gonna talk about her later. But like Sid LaRue has literally been on fire. Like you have this crazy attacking talent and this truly such a like to to me always the deepest part of the u.s women's national team has always been the attackers and yet you're just being like i would like you see that and you go hmm i want to play a five four one why just play three at the back bro play three at the back play a three five two if you're nervous about getting beat in the midfield play a three five two or three four three like like, like you <laughs> said so that's options. kind of yeah that's kind of my thing like this isn't gonna be like this isn't gonna come in handy all that often there aren't going to be that many teams where we're like going to try and eke out a one nil or a two one. Like it's, and, and when it does happen, I guarantee you, you drop into that five, four, one versus Spain, you're going to give up a goal. Okay. You're going to give up the goal. You do it versus France. You're going to give up the goal. Like play them straight up. Tell your, you like, like, like Courtney said, you can either go three, five, two, or you can put, you know, basically make two sixes. You know, hopefully you have Sam Mewis back by then, but Sullivan and, and Mewis and keep them, you know, as the two sixes in front, but make sure you also pose a threat at the other end of the pitch. Every single time we do this five, four, one thing. And I don't think it's a matter of execution because it seems like the players are doing what Blacko wants them to do. They drop back way too much and they stay way too deep. And when you get possession, there's nowhere to go with the ball except give it right back to the opposition. So I, I, I just don't understand this. It's, it's also super not the way this team wants to play. It doesn't fit their style. Nothing about it. And in terms of even, even from that, you know, quote unquote mentality thing, it doesn't jive with that either. Like, I don't know why he's so focused on, yes, now drop into the 5-4-1 and let's see out the last seven minutes of this game. No, just play the game. 
Like, what are you doing? Like, this is it's like it's like the whole like I don't even know what to explain. Like, I don't even watch the NFL anymore or, or any like American football. But it's like that prevent defense nonsense that I used to hate when I used to play Madden back in the day. Like, stop doing the dumb stuff and just and just inviting the opposition to come at you in such force. It just I, I honestly don't understand it. I really don't understand why he's been so dedicated to work on it and, and like multiple matches before, during, and after the Olympics. Like, dude, let it go. Please let it go. Yeah, 100%. And like, also part of that to me is like, when I mean, bringing up the mentality is a really, really good point because I think like what is supposed to be the quote unquote mentality of this team is that you like, you're not afraid of anyone. Like, you want everyone to be afraid of you. And so if you were trying to continue that image and that mentality, like you think teams are going to be afraid of you when you're sitting in a five four one, a five four one. Spain won't. No. France won't. Like those teams like, are going to eat you alive. Sweden they're like, won't. oh, you're going to sit in a in a low block. Great, give us the ball. That's exactly yep. what we want. <laughs> like yep. that literally is. It plays exactly into their hand. Like I was watching. I actually watched a bit of the Spain uh Scotland game today. And besides the fact that Spain balling out because it was basically Barcelona on a national team, like. Them, like Scotland at times, you know, just constantly having to defend, defend, defend. Like that just like played into Spain's hand because Spain wants the ball. Like that's exactly their style. They want the ball. All of these teams want the ball. Like none of these, uh, especially when we think about, you know, let's say like Spain, England, France, the Netherlands, like even uh, thinking about, for example, like Canada, like none of these teams, even at times Brazil, like none of these teams are purely counterattacking teams. Like, I mean, I saw that time and time again, and especially during that Brazil-India game. Like, the, the, they're really not, like, yeah, they'll sometimes hit you on the counterattack, but at the base of it, these teams are possessive. And so sitting in a low block and get, and conceding possession to the other team is exactly what they want to do. Yeah, yeah, it's it's annoying. So, um, but anyway, uh, I think we can be done with that unless there are some last things you want to say before moving on to the much-awaited much anticipated diaspora united awards uh casey murphy supremacy to me casey murphy yes uh I, I did vote this way casey murphy was my goalkeeper of the year because i thought she had an outstanding season in north carolina where at times north carolina was doing calamitous things at the back and casey <laughs> murphy was like no no i'm keeping us in this <laughs> over and over again i thought she had an absolutely spectacular season um and to me it just completely showed during these games like to me i was like oh this is like, everyone was like, oh, my God, Casey Murphy. And I was like, girlies, have you been watching North Carolina? Casey Murphy's been like this all season. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, when when it comes to what we learned, yeah, that's that's goalkeeper number one right there. I mean, she was outrageous. And gen- genuinely, if you hit the ball in the air, uh, just kiss it goodbye. Like, <laughs> she's so she's going to get it. Yeah, she's going to get it. she's like, as tall as you. Ah, stop it. I knew you were going to do that. Let's <laughs> move on to the awards. Literally, as soon as they said 6-1, I said, that's Andre's height. Ah, get out of here. <laughs> Please. I was Please. literally my brain no went. I honestly laughed so hard because that was literally the first place my brain went. <laughs> it went oh, that's Andre's height, and I was like, "Wow, this is the discourse that's been going on on my Twitter feed for so many days." <laughs> this so is the first place that my we're, brain we're goes. We're like into the, almost um, the second but, week of this. Please, please, y'all, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at points though, it did make me really laugh, and like they just were like, "Oh, I want to kick the ball in the air," and then Casey Murphy was like, "Cool, I'm not going to jump. I'm just going to grab it out of the air for you." Um, but yeah, to me, she was absolutely spectacular. Uh, and to me, it's a clear number one. Like, even with a listener coming back and being healthy, um, I don't know. It's when you put up two performances like that. And also we've seen, for example, a season long 
basically uh, a season of performances like that. It's hard to say that she's not your number one. Um, but moving on, it is time for our Diaspora United Awards. Uh, if you guys remember, the first award that we to- we mentioned months and months ago, the Diaspora United Community Shield, this goes to the team with the best fits over any other team. Uh, and so th- that team quite clearly is Gotham. Yeah, Gotham has no been fits else. on your forehead <laughs> since day one. Yeah, literally. I was gonna say rain. Rain had some it. nice fits, but but nah, it was Gotham all the way, one hundred percent. Yeah, I was uh, taking notes during the entire season. So the official ranking uh, is Gotham at number one, Rain at number two, and Kansas City at number three in terms of just fits on your forehead so far. <laughs> even though I do want to say Portland also had fire fits, but they were never shown to people. I like had to see it going yeah. deep into Instagrams, and I was like. Why aren't y'all putting these fits online? Like people know we love the fits. Why are you not putting fire fits online? Uh, and so I was like, you can't even be in the ranking, even though to me they were clear number two. Honestly, at times, like there were some fits were fire, but we did not see any of them, and I don't know why. But yes, Gotham takes the Dasper United Community Shield. It, I mean, between Midge, Estelle, Mandy. Yeah, we, we, Mandy, got, we got an individual award for Mandy, too. <laughs> we do. We do. But, like, Cujo as well at times, Ify, yeah. even Pinto. When, look, when 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 they went to uh, Philadelphia and they had Ify and Pinto, maybe an Amani Dorsey. But at times we saw some Ivy Park crossovers. I said, these are fits. fits. No, Mitch had on a, a Negro Leagues uh, baseball uh, shirt, or I think it was a sweatshirt. And, yo, that... that that meant a lot to me personally, like deeply. Like I love that. I absolutely love that. Negro leagues are it's one of the it's one of the most fascinating and of course because it's America, unfortunate and enraging stories. But yeah, the Negro Leagues were super, super so important. And I don't even care about baseball, but they were super important. That was so far at the time where Estelle Johnson had a what a denim skirt. It was a white denim skirt and she had um the outline of Africa embroidered on it and made it a print. Yes. That was fire. The time Mandy when she was coming back from injury and had a cane and even dressed up the cane. The cane oh, the cane fit is legendary. The, the cane fit is legendary. You know, I'll just talk to her right now. That's why Mandy is our most stylish player of the year. Yeah. Easily. I'm, yes. Easily. E- I just could not I could not contain it. I had to announce it right there. That fit with the cane. Mandy killed it all season. All season. It was incredible. They I like honestly the cane really did take it over the top though, because because you know, like having a cane as part of your fit and then making it like just just completely like making it part of the entire fit, like unifying it to the entire fit was just so dope. Like it's just incredible fashion sense. She is incredible. It was absolutely spectacular. And even and I mean, look, she was even firing off the fits when she was injured. Look, the fits, it was fire. So shout out to Gotham for being the most stylish team of the year. Uh, but Andre, do you want to go over our MVP candidate? Or, well, actually, our MVP of this year. Yes, absolutely. Our, our, I wonder if we should build up to MVP, though. Okay, should we build up what? to MVP? Let's build up to MVP. But okay. we'll go, actually, uh, with a fun one. Our goal of the year, Andre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we talked about this. We talked about a lot of goals. And there were some clear contenders. One of them, Ebony Salmon's first goal against Houston. Literally, <laughs> first time playing for racing. Comes on the touches just deeply disrespects Houston's entire back line. Like, it was literally that, <laughs> thinking about that goal, <laughs> being like, this is literally your first time on a, an 
in an NWSL match and you come out and do that and you deeply embarrass an entire backline of vets, fire. Yeah, yeah, it was it was incredibly fire. I I I honestly think I don't. I was gonna. I was sitting here thinking like maybe we should put because we have three kind of nominations here. I was like maybe we should put them on Twitter and let people vote. But I'm replaying that Ebony Salmon, and I I think that would like. And so our other honorable mentions are Trinity's goal against Gotham at Segra Field. That game was a wild through two game red cards. Golazos everywhere. And the um, best thing that ever happened at Sacred Field, to be honest with you, like that field is <laughs> trash and didn't deserve those players or that goal. But but yeah, it was incredible. I mean, she basically got the ball wide, cut inside and hit that curve. We hadn't seen her score like that before. So seeing that she can, she had the power and she had the technique to be able to do that was like a little bit outrageous because it was a long range outside the box hit that curled into the far side netting. It was bonkers. That was... It was an absolute bonkers goal. Uh, and then another goal, I've tweeted about it so many times. I've talked about it so many times on this podcast. That team goal that Gotham scored against Orlando. Midge first scored it, but really, if you want to talk about, uh, like, we, I just kept coming back to Evie's involvement with yes. the dummy, continuing mm-hmm. her run inside, getting to the perfect position, and then being super unselfish and seeing mm-hmm. Midge right open and playing the ball to her. That team goal was so nice. I would have talked about it more than twice. <laughs> did you mean to do that? I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel you. Okay. Okay. I see you rhyming. Uh, appreciated that. Um, let's, let's do a, we'll, we'll go and do like a, we'll, we'll do like one. I don't know. We, we have some, some fun ones in here, but, and we also have some like legit, like real awards. Right. So maybe we'll do, um, let's do rookie of the year. Cause that's easy. Right. I just mentioned the goal that she scored is Trinity Robin. That's it. Like, honestly, if she wasn't a rookie, she would have been up there for, like, MVP, um, shortlist on MVP, for real, for real, because just, like, came out of nowhere, was in high school, didn't play college ball at all, just came in and was just absolutely destroying people. So, like, yeah, I, I there's, I mean, Kiki Pickett also had a good, we talked about her before, she also had a good uh, a good run as well, a good season once she got onto the pitch. Um, but, but, yeah, it could only be Trinity. Yeah, I mean, she was... She had the most, the only person who had more goal contributions there over this entire season was Ifyan Manu. <laughs> like, the, I mean, to me, is the most comprehensive rookie of the year campaign. But also, like, honestly, she probably had points out of shout for MVP because what she was doing. Definitely. For, like, the spirit over the course of this year, she was absolutely spectacular. We got a we got a piece a, a little sneak preview, but soon we're gonna drop a piece uh, at Black and Red United where I write uh, and cover the spirit. Uh, me and the site manager there, Jason, wrote a little piece about Trinity Robbins' uh, 102nd uh, minute run uh, to keep possession and take the ball away from um, the Red Stars when they had a free kick off the edge of the box. It was one of the most ridiculous things. It's when she hit the little spin move in the center circle. But yeah, I mean, just being able to be an outlet for the team in that way and and provide the basically take possession away but also give them a chance to just breathe and relax and carry possession that far up the pitch by herself in the 102nd minute in the gross grueling season she's ever had because the last season she had was in high school <laughs> running with the US uh the youth national team like yeah i mean it's just absolutely absurd stuff just absurd stuff she had an absurd rookie season and i don't know how she's going to top it but i know she has the skills too yeah, she really does. Um, so shout out to Trinity Robin. I mean, uh, <laughs> truly what a talent. And I can't wait to continue watching her next season. Um, one other award that, you know, has been pretty fun to think about is our comeback player of the year. 
And I think for all of us, it's Sydney LaRue. Like, I remember Andre and one of our, I don't know if you remember this, but literally one of our first conversations leading up to the NWSL, you know, probably what, two, three episodes on the pod. I was like, Sydney, Sydney LaRue is about to have a crazy season. season. <laughs> I could like, I could just feel it coming. She was, you know, getting back to full fitness after having two kids, which like, honestly, it's never like her talent fell off. It was just that like, she had kids, like her, her body was not back. Um, and so for me, it is so clear that Sid LaRue is the like the comeback player of the year. I mean, she, <laughs> when we talk about revenge tours and not being on the national team for a while and being like, oh, hey, remember me? She is the definition of that. The amount of times where she pulled Orlando through games by the scruff of their neck. I mean, we used to joke about it that like Sid would play like literally at times was playing center back and right back and left back and outside mid and winger and also central striker. Like she was absolutely fantastic this entire season. I do wish Orlando, you know, could have made it into the playoffs. We like could have seen even playoff Sid because I feel like that is even a different level of seeing Sid play. But to me, it was so clear the impact that she had on Orlando and just how important she was getting back into full fitness um, this entire year. So that's why for me, it's so clear that she's a comeback player of the year. Oh yeah. For me, it couldn't be anybody else. I think Sid LaRue coming back and playing as well as she did was absolutely incredible. And Orlando needed every bit of it. <laughs> and like you said, they, they unfortunately didn't uh, make the playoffs, but the only reason they were close and it was, it was what, I think it, they were only eliminated from playoff contention with what, like what, three games to go. So it's not like they were ever like completely just out of it as in like previous seasons. But yeah, no, um, she she really drugged that Orlando team and she played just absolutely unreal. She was all over the place. So yeah, absolutely comeback player of the year. Um, let's talk about, oh, you know what? Let's do a fun one. Let's do most disrespectful player of the year. <laughs> <laughs> this is another, another, not just because it's another opportunity for me to talk about Trinity because uh, yeah, she's absolutely one of the candidates for this most disrespectful player of the year. She, I mean, I, I wish they tracked, I wish they kept stats as well uh, with the women's game as they do the men's game, because I guarantee you she probably averaged about a nutmeg a match, uh, a, a, a nutmeg, <laughs> one nutmeg per 90 is what I'm guessing she had because she just did it every match because she could. Uh, and it was great. And that's the kind of disrespect I like to see. But also on this list is Midge. I remember that you remember that goal when Midge just snatched ankles and then hit the far side netting. Like she did that a couple times. <laughs> yes, that goal against KC too. Same type of thing. Like, yeah, Midge is super disrespectful and I love it. Even though I do have to give a shout, even though she wasn't always super disrespectful, but we just know what's in her vein, Marta. Oh, Marta absolutely. chooses violence every single time. They, like, I remember we were talking about <laughs> uh we were tweeting uh who is just like the most like who is the person that does not make you for no reason? Like, who's the most disrespectful player of the NWSL? And over a while, we said it was Roosevelt, but it's actually Marta. Marta chooses Max. violence yeah. every single time. Even Dabinia does, too. Like, just not making you for no reason. J just for jokes. Just for jokes. And so, yeah, the dis <laughs> the disrespectful player of the year is definitely Trinity, but also Midge is a strong second. Sometimes she'll just... <laughs> that, like, I don't know why I immediately thought of that time... Um, that Tobin Heath shimmied and sat a player down. Um, oh but Midge God. would do that too. <laughs> that was so nasty. <laughs> the disrespect was unreasonable. Um, but, you know, wanting to look forward a little bit, I want to talk about 
what players actually no i'm gonna say we'll save that for that or say we'll save that second to last the most slept on player of the year this is like kind of like your unsung hero award someone who like does puts it in day in day out always consistent but you know never gets the shine that they deserve now to be fair this could be many of the black players in the nwsl because we know about who gets all the media coverage, who gets all the shine, all of those things. But the most slept on player of the year, there are actually a few of them. One of them is Ifyana Manu. I shout about her all the time because I see the contribution she gives Gotham and how important she is. But two other players I also want to shout out are, and to me who do really encapsulate this, is Nichelle Prince for the Houston Dash and Kristen Edmonds for the Kansas City Current. I'm going to start with Nichelle. Nichelle is, in terms of what you're going to get from her every single week, is almost unreasonably consistent. She's going to do the dang thing every single week. And I mean, I really enjoyed Houston at times, like playing in the style that really, really suited her. Because at at times we saw Houston, like it was always a question of like, what's Houston doing? What style are they going to play today? Um, But even though Nichelle Prince didn't necessarily have, like necessarily score the most goals or provide the most assists, like to me, she is always one to watch out for because she will give you her best every single game and it's always a question of do you have the right people on the finishing end of that ball because she will get in behind defenses she will also embarrass you and to me it's super clear why she's an unsung hero but also with Kirsten Edmonds how many positions has she played in as well like kind of in the same right. way of like Sid LaRue like sometimes we see her as a six sometimes we see her at center back sometimes we see her at outside back and then mm-hmm. sometimes we see her like at an eight or ten <laughs> It's like, how many positions are you playing her? But I mean, to me, that's also kind of the definition of the slept on player of the year. You just slide her in anywhere. She'll like, she will give you exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, for, for us and it's, and it's really not that she like completely outperformed, but I just think when you, when you really like emphasize the unsung part of it, Efi should have been um way higher in like mvp discussions like i appreciated that midge uh was in within the conversations as well because and, and we'll get to midge a little bit later and talk about her some more but i think Efi was just absolutely outstanding um throughout throughout the season didn't start um at the beginning of the season for reasons uh but you still got a phenomenal performance from her eight goals four assists most goal contributions in the league was only equaled by Trinity Raman, who had six and six. But like I and you y'all just heard me talk crazy for for a crazy long time about Robin. Could do the same thing about Efi. Efi was so central to everything they did, even when she had to pick up a lot of slack, even when, you know, they changed the way she was attacking because other players came back and were taking roles that they probably shouldn't have had on the team. Yada yada, we're not gonna go there again. But I just think Efi had an unbelievably consistent season, was consistently dangerous. And I think um it's actually nice how these awards are kind of coming together because I think in that goal of the year, you know, that, that Midge Purse goal, Midge Purse goal, uh, that team goal that Gotham scored, I think Courtney broke that down beautifully because it's really about Efi. Like, that's the encapsulation of Efi's play this season. I mean, she had a dummy. She had the run. She had the, the, the pass, the unselfish pass to get an open shot. She could have taken that shot. She, the goalkeeper was right there. She was in the box. But she knew that, like, there's no defender anywhere close if I slide this ball over to Midge, it's absolutely, it's it's a much higher uh, percentage chance anyway, even though it was already really high because of all the work that she did previously in the match, uh, in the move. So like, yeah, to me, I think it's Efi. I mean, y'all have heard me talk about Efi over the, maybe I should do some social cuts of every time I talk about Efi because it's probably <laughs> once Thanks. a week, but watching this team 
so as closely as I did for the entire team or for the entire year. I mean, covering this team, Ify has been absolutely spectacular. Like I know, and I was kind of mad because she should have more than 12 goal contributions in terms of like goals and assists. Because when I remember one of her goals against Houston got uh, chalked off or offside, even though it wasn't offside and I was pissed. Yeah. Um, but also like there were, <laughs> I wish included in the like, the goals and assist category or like goal contributions. There was also one for key passes because Evie has had so many key passes and lead ups to goals where it's almost like she's had like a hockey assist where she's been like, and I know everyone wants to talk about Midge and Midge is an absolutely spectacular player. But to me, Gotham does not make the playoffs without Evie. When I talk about, like, I know I mentioned <laughs> Sid dragging Orlando by the scuff of their necks. Evie I've never seen a player <laughs> so consistently hunt for a goal every single time. Like truly every single time she was always hunting for a goal. And when a, and whenever it was like Gotham needs an equalizer, you you know who always <laughs> got that goal? It was Evie. The amount of times where she was just like, okay, fine, I'm going to score a winner. I mean, I talked about this, what, two or three podcasts ago when I was mad that she wasn't included in the MVP conversation because of how many points she won for Gotham over the course of the season by, you know, getting your, like your game winning assist or your game winning goal or your game equalizing assist or equalizing goal. It is absolutely insane. And so, and also because like she, to me, she's not necessarily getting all the shine she deserves. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop myself because I can literally talk about Evie all day, every day because she is just as important to that Gotham offense as Midge is. Facts. So let's do. Uh, let's move on and do the player to watch next year because this is going to be a fun one. I like this. I like this category as well because I do have a few, a couple players in mind to keep an eye on. And I'll go with. You know what? I'll go with. I'll go with the second one on the list. And y'all know personally. Y'all know I love attacking players. Courtney loves defense as well. So like, I think it's a good balance here. So I'm going to have to go with Ebony Salmon. We saw what she did when she first came in. We talked about that goal, the, uh, the goal of the season, uh, the goal of the year. Yeah, yeah year, season, whatever. Um, we talked about that, but just the way that she came in, how she was so perfect for this heavy transition game. Um, I think once, if Louisville adds to their squad, gets better and improves in certain areas, you'll even see a better, a much better season, even though there were some doubters. There were doubters, and she very much proved them wrong every opportunity she got, and I love that. And it's just so great to see, like, young player, you know, English player coming over here, um, fitting into the style and the way that we play and, and having success right away. I love that. And so it's just had to do nothing but build confidence for her, and I'm really excited to see what she does next season. Yeah, me too. She, <laughs> Bro, I, I don't know why. That goal is still in the back of my head. <laughs> Truly such nasty. an immaculate goal. It was so nasty. My God, it was so nasty. But yeah, Ebony Salmon is definitely a player, like a player you should definitely keep your eye on next season, especially after like as Louisville continue to grow and grow and like, um, you know, bring new players and all that stuff. Um, But a player to watch for me is Kiki Pickett. We just learned that she was traded in North Carolina. But to me, like in my, let's say my ranking of, you know, your rookies of the year, to me, she's that number three. She was, <laughs> to be fair at times, and she did get a little, um, she did get a few yellow cards here and there. But to me, she's one, like, if I'm thinking about a player that really might have a breakout season next year, it's Kiki Pickett. 
like she is really really spectacular and her at like her at the outside back position especially you know having Carson Pickett on one side <laughs> I actually saw something from I think it was Uproar at North Carolina that now their back line uh, must be called the Pickett fence because you have Kiki Pickett on one side and Carson Pickett on the other uh which is honestly just jokes but she's gonna have a really really big season next year um especially as she you know adjusted to the league and really honestly started becoming one of the uh starting outside backs so she's one for me to keep your eye on Yep, yep. Now we're going to get into the big three. All right, we're going to do attacker of the year, defender of the year, and MVP. Uh, so let's start with, you know what, let's let's start with defender of the year. We've been talking about attackers a lot. I know, I know Courtney just talked about Kiki Pickett, so let's keep it talking about defenders. And defender of the year, who y'all think? Obviously, it's Sarah Gordon. Sarah Easy. Gordon, Iron Woman of the Red Stars, absolutely play, play every single minute, ex- just an absolute lockdown 1v1 defender just absolutely nasty and and the other problem is if you do happen to get by even if you happen to get by anybody else on that back line she'll track you down she will hunt you down and i saw that happen so many times this season she was she was the player keeping that defense together allowing everybody to to be to making their job so so much easier because she was so good 1v1 and so good at getting back to be able to help out um with numbers defensively because she is so quick just like honestly couldn't have been anybody else sarah gordon diaspora united defender of the year literally so easy this is probably the easiest decision decision besides rookie of the year for us the amount of people she shut down, the amount of attackers who are having great seasons that she said, no, 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 not for you today. Just absolutely spectacular. And also her playoff run was so good. She was shutting that shit down against everyone that she came against. So yeah, super easy defender of the year. Uh, and now flipping to the other side of the pitch, attacker of the year. For us, it's quite clear. It's Midge. Even Midge. though she missed, like, she missed what? Of the, almost a quarter to a third of the season, <laughs> like seven games. Yep, yep. Quick and maths, that's, that's and that's exactly why she would have had the golden boot if she didn't miss those games. Easy. Oh, easy. She scored how many? <laughs> she literally came back and said, "Hi, did you miss me? Oh yeah, I'm gonna come and bang goals on your forehead, and go get the, and go be in the running for this golden boot." Um, yeah, like she won. Uh, you know, Gotham did some extra awards at the. At the end of the season, she won their attack of the year. Like, Midge has been absolutely phenomenal. Just absolutely phenomenal. And if you let her be an attacker instead of putting her at outside back, I know, truly I know what a concept. What, like, what a concept to play Midge as a forward with. That's where she's best suited. Of course, she's going to bang goals on your forehead and start attacks and disrespect and do all the things that you want out of your attacker. And now it is time for Diaspora United MVP of the season of the 2021 season can we get a drum roll please um can you do a drum roll okay (laughs) (laughs) okay ready yeah let's do it okay i feel it yes 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 mvp (laughs) diaspora united mvp keep going what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) okay wait let's do this again (laughs) no 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 it's all good We're, we're good we're gonna roll right with it okay there we go. Diaspora United 2021 NWSL season MVP. We called her the unsung hero, and this is why she should have been in the MVP discussion because she was that damn important. Ifi Anamanu, friend of the pod, Diaspora United MVP. 
we've talked about Efi so many times this year. It, she, look, I said it before, I'll say it again. Gotham is not in the playoffs without her. She is far and away their MVP. The bringing them by the scruff of the neck over and over again, constantly hunting, constantly giving her all. And I know it doesn't always show up stats wise if you like look at stats, but when you see the eye test, you see what she's putting in day in and day out. The Gotham front line does not function the same without her. We saw it when she was not playing or being pushed in outside positions. And she just adjusted and kept going every single time, by far and away, our MVP of the year. Yeah, I think even if you do look at stats, I mean, eight goals, four assists. I mean, that was the highest total goal contributions. And like Courtney said, if, even if there was a key passes metric, like I said, we need we need more metrics to be able to truly quantify some of this. But honestly, you can just watch. I mean, just watch Gotham with and without Efi. Um, just watch how important she was to that attack, how important she was to the whole team, because it wasn't just, you know, the goals and assists. She also did a lot of work as well uh, on the defensive side of the ball, too. So, like, yeah, to me... It was Evie. She had an unbelievable season. I think she got overlooked a bit. I think Midge came back and, and you know, rightfully so. I think a lot of people thought, you know, Midge was going to take the golden boot and she started off really strong, you know, scored a couple goals. But I think throughout the course of the season, it was Evie. Absolutely had to be Evie. So, and that's it. I think those, that, those are your first, the inaugural Diaspora United Awards. But yeah, we know we are running long for y'all, but you know, we're about to close out with heated and hyped. So I am going to try to keep it brief. I don't know if I can keep it brief, but I'm going to try my best. Y'all know what I'm heated about. It's not, I'm not heated about Formiga retiring, even though that breaks my, makes me sad and breaks my heart. I get it. What I'm tight about are two things. The first is the Brazilian Football Federation about how they decided to make this happen. Uh, when I was tweeting about Formiga, I got a whole bunch of Brazilian followers. Shout out to y'all. Sometimes I feel like I can speak Portuguese. I cannot, but you know, I was do, you doing some real great context clues to figure out what y'all were saying. <laughs> but there are a few really terrible things about this. The first was that they did not do enough. You know, we saw some things on social, but when you were actually in Brazil, they were not doing a lot of promos for this saying, hello, this absolutely immaculate perfection player is retiring we basically don't really know like a lot of global women's soccer without her she's retiring uh but there actually was not unfortunately not a lot being told like people being told about it um specifically they decided to um they chose to put the game in manaus which is not close to a where she's from and b where she's like currently playing in Brazil. I saw so, so many tweets saying that <laughs> the um, the Brazilian Football Federation did not release tickets until two days, two days before Formiga's last game. So that's, first of all, that's a mess, number one. Like not releasing tickets for this absolutely incredible players, like farewell game and only releasing it two days beforehand. First of all, they put it on like a Tuesday. Like I know it's during an international break, but like we saw the U.S. Women's national team what play on Saturday. It's possible to put these games on the weekend and they decided not to for that. A lot of people were, I mean, were really, really tweeting about it. Like Marta, did, I mean, we now later learned that Marta did travel for it. It was like a big surprise, but like Cristiani wasn't there. Like there were truly so many bad things about it. Like it really felt like it was just like something that they did out of, obligation not something that gave real value to Formiga's contribution not only to 
football in Brazil, and not just women's football, football in Brazil and women's football around the world. I tweeted this. It went semi-viral. There is only one Women's World Cup without Formiga. And it happened in 1991, and it was because at the time Formiga was between the ages of 12 and 13. <laughs> That's just so you, wild. Like, she literally started at the international level when she was 15. <laughs> There's no Olympic women's soccer without Formiga in it. Formiga has literally, and I mean, I've said this, and y'all know I'm young, but literally Formiga has been at the international level for longer than my life. 26 years. I'm only 25. Literally longer than my entire life. And they just did not give her the send-off she deserved. And it was like... Her mom came out. Her mom is afraid of... This is also what like really broke my heart. I'm going to get into the next part. Her mom came out to see her. Formiga's mom has never seen her play, like basically for the Brazilian national team because her mom is afraid of flying. And they, she got on that plane and got flown out for her final international match. And, uh, and Pia played her for 15 minutes. She played her for 15 minutes. Not only does that make me deeply angry because when I saw the lineup, I said, where's Formiga? Where is she? Why like why aren't you playing her? Because the thing is, and this is very common in soccer, when it's someone's last match, you for the most part you start them and then you let them have their final standing ovation when they get subbed off in whatever minute. Like when this is like a planned thing. Like I know that didn't necessarily happen with Carly Lloyd, but Carly Lloyd also had a, a literally a tour for 17 months about her retirement. It wasn't 17 months, it was like literally two, but it felt like 17 at times. The <laughs> playing her for 15 minutes. And then in the post-game press conference, and people were like, oh, well, maybe Formiga is injured. Maybe she has an injury because when, like, the release, like, I will say, shout out to the Brazil's social team for the women's game. Because they were doing a whole bunch of tweeting. They got so, like, they got Pele to record a video and all these, um, like, Pino recorded a video, Jordan Heitma and uh, Christine Sinclair recorded videos. Like, they, I will say, for their social, they, like, to me, did a pretty good job. Do I wish it was, like, a little bit earlier and all that stuff? Yeah, but, I mean, considering what else she was, like, <laughs> what else was going on, they did a pretty good job. But she still only played 15 minutes. And do you want to know what we learned, Andre? Why she played 15 minutes? And at first we thought, oh, she kind of looked like she was limping when she was getting off the elevator to go see her mom. And you're like, oh, maybe she's injured. So then after the game, journalists in Brazil asked Pia, why did Formiga only have the last 15 minutes? Pia said. The reason Formiga had 15 minutes was that she's not in the future of the national team. We have to build that future. The deep disrespect given to Formiga to only play her for not 15 minutes and then coming out and saying that you only played her for 15 minutes because she's not in the future of the national team? First of all, how fucking dare you? How fucking dare you? This program would not be where this program was if not for Formiga. You were talking about the literal backbone of this program and you gave her 15 minutes 15 minutes because she's not the future of the national team well guess what she's a whole past the entire past could you imagine i mean i think for us it would literally be jokes if they only played carly lord for 15 minutes in her last game but could you imagine like carly lloyd christine lily mia ham because to me for this program for me goes up there in the same way that mia ham was so foundational for the the u.s women's soccer program and having playing Mia Hamm for 15 minutes on our last game and saying it's because she's not in the future of the national team. That is so deeply disrespectful. And I'm like, honestly, still mad about it. Cause this has been a few days. This has been simmering in my system for a few days because truly how dare you? She has been so foundational to this team. 
and you give her 15 minutes and you say it's because she's not the future. And like, and also if that's the truth, you don't have to say that. Just say she had an injury and you didn't want to like make her more injured. And that's why she only got 15 minutes, even though in that 15 minutes, she almost had an assist or she basically did have an assist and she almost scored. It is, I am like truly still so mad about this, but it's like, she means so much to little black and brown girls all over the world. Seeing people who looked like them playing in so many different leagues, playing for such a long time at the international level, and you give her 15 minutes on your send-off. Like, nah, bro. Like, you're done for me in my book. And I'm done. Yeah, I, I'm i completely with you on all of that. Cosign every single word. Um, I <laughs> I refrain from tweeting it, but I'm going to say it on the podcast. Is that uh, the U.S. and Brazil should have swapped victory tours, um, quite honestly. Because <laughs> Formiga deserved every single bit and more of what Carly got. But even, But honestly, not even that. Like... It's even deeply disrespectful because Formiga was starting for PSG last season when they when they ended Leon's streak of winning the domestic league. So she was still playing at a very high level. So you can't even give me any nonsense about how like, you know, you're moving on, you know, this is a feel like she still has a lot to give. She's still been balling. And that's what makes her so incredible is that she's it's not just that and this is the kind of the thing that's been kind of annoying a little bit about her uh, and her and her how her career has been viewed is people are just like you know, trying to liken her into to players who just play for a long time, like into her 40s. Like, no, Formiga actually has been so, so useful, <laughs> right, to a number of teams and successful teams that it is legitimately incredible. The span and the breadth of her career and how she's managed to remain so good and so effective for so long is the whole point. And yeah, it was truly, truly unfortunate and really sad to see. And honestly... I, I've got a lot of beef with Pia over that because I don't think that I think it's really I think it's really rude. And I think you don't really understand that Brazil program. And I don't think you understand the culture in Brazil, um, particularly and what she means and what Formiga means to players there, to kids there. Um, and I think that that's really a problem. I think when you come in, particularly when you're a white woman, I think particularly when you go into a place with with black and brown people and you don't understand the importance of certain people and certain players and you don't give them the respect they deserve and have earned, I think you are really, really showing a serious blind spot. And I was really, really frustrated. I deleted so many tweets uh, in reply to that because uh, I quote tweeted it and I was trying to say a lot of things and I was just like, I'm going to end up saying something really harsh. But honestly, that is... That really, that part of it really, really rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, yo, you do not understand what she means. And you're over here making decisions as if that's the only thing to consider here. Yo, these are friendly matches. Like, chill. Like, please. She deserves a send off. She needed to be in the starting lineup in addition to all the reasons that Courtney said. So, yeah, I think, you know what? That's going to be both of our heated. <laughs> it was so upset. It was so upsetting that I'm just going to go ahead and make that my heated too because I just went on a rant about it as well. Like, yeah, the disrespect shown to Formiga was absolutely reason for both of us to be heated. So, like, <sighs> 200, 200, what gets me, and we talk about how much the U.S. women's national team plays. It's how Carly Lloyd has like 300 caps. Yeah. Formiga has 234 caps. Yeah. Knowing how little. Brazil actually plays like it's not like yep. they're the U.S. Women's National Team and they schedule friendlies every single time. Man, if she, she would have had near eight hundred caps, like she would have probably be hitting a thousand caps. Like no one would be coming <laughs> close to her for twenty six years at the international level. Yeah, and not only that, and this is what really gets to me: it was illegal 
for women to play football in Brazil mm-hmm. when Formiga was born. It was illegal. And her perseverance, she has she wrote a piece for the Players Tribune. I 100% recommend, like, go find it. Google Translate it if you're not fluent in Portuguese. Like, I'm not. And you just hear about the struggle that she had to try to get into the game. Like, playing with, like, boys. Like, not having... <laughs> Like, not even having, like, girls to play with. The fact that she's a black woman, she is a and she is a queer black woman in Brazil, where it was illegal for women to play when she was born. And she still had an immaculate, fantastic international career. And you want to sub all of that up with 15 minutes. How fucking dare you? Sorry, I just got more mad again. <laughs> I literally just got more mad again. 234 caps. Like, I can't believe it. Like, I'm still, I'm going to be angry about this, honestly, for a long time. I saw a tweet saying that that was the beginning of someone's villain, villain origin story. Mine, oh, yeah. too. That's oh, yeah. the beginning of my villain origin story. <laughs> Mine, too. Facts. Let's change gears and get out of here on a positive note, if we can. All right, let's try. Let's talk about what's got us hype. Courtney, I'm going to start with you, give you a quick chance to transition, talk about what's got you hype. Okay, it's not actually hyped, but what marked a surprise for me, Gah? I lost it. <laughs> I was like teary-eyed the whole game. Bro, when I tell you I was crying by myself on the couch, just tears rolling down with the flowers, the kneeling, the big surprise. I, I lost it. I did, I just lost it. <laughs> and it was just like a... And like when Formiga was later like giving the speech and talking directly to Marta, did I understand the words? No. Did I understand the feeling? Yes. And it was just absolutely beautiful. I know I just like literally like <laughs> launch in a whole bunch of people for not doing enough, but the Marta surprise, which I feel like honestly at this uh, pr- probably for Marta was like pre-planned and just like what it meant to Formiga. And you could just tell how emotional she was about it and Marta being there. And I was just literally in my honey nut filios for such a long time. I was just literally so I was, <laughs> I'm not joking. I was literally in my house by myself crying on the couch being like, I, I lost it. I completely lost it. Uh, so that is actually what got me hyped because sometimes at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what everyone else says about you, but with that person that you were so close with and means so much to you, like just literally gives you your flowers. It was real nice. Yeah, that was so dope. Marta's awesome. Just just love Marta. She's so great. And and that's that's what Formiga meant, by the way. Like Pia, if you need to see, if you need to look and, and you need to understand how, how royally you messed that up. That's what Formiga means. Marta, as great as she is, as decorated as she is, as important as she is, she bowed. She took a knee. She took a knee and gave and gave Formiga her flowers. That was beautiful. Um, for me, I don't have a hype that's going to match that, quite honestly. <laughs> but y'all know I'm a Chelsea fan. Y'all know I'm extremely hype uh, about Lauren James um, getting on the pivot. Finally, on, you know, over the summer, transferring from Manchester United to Chelsea. I was hype about that. But now it seems like she's over her injury situation and she is getting into the Chelsea team. She's come on as a sub a few times. And food, let me tell you, she, she's already been cutting people up. I dropped a gif uh, earlier this week of her. She shook some, she snatched some angles, ankles without even looking at somebody. She had her back turned and just did these, just, just went, you know, right, left, right, left, and then dropped a dime to Bethany England's forehead. And the ball had to be cleared off the line or it was going to be an assist. Like, honestly, so hype about her man. like she is so so good and impossible to mark 1v1 whether she's staring whether she's facing you up or she has her back turned which i didn't know about that last part but uh it was so so nasty i loved it so that's what i'm hype about 
Um, before we get out of here, we know it's been a long episode, but before we get out of here, Courtney, is there anything else you want to say to the people? Uh, shout out to what the Mexican national team is doing. I know we didn't get a chance to talk about them, but really, really hype the fact that they beat reigning gold medalist Canada. That was fire. I know they just tied nil-nil, but really, really excited about that program and cannot wait for World Cup qualifying coming up. And also potentially seeing MLS Cup being played at Yankee Stadium. I'm not excited about the game. I'm excited to be able to have a gluten-free hot dog. (laughs) That's what I'm excited about, a hot dog and a gluten-free bun, and I don't have to bring the bun myself. That's what I'm about. Shout out to gluten-free quizzies. I got nothing, y'all. I got got no follow-up. We'll talk to y'all next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Diaspora United Podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review us anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Diaspora United Pod. That's Diaspora UTD POD. And message us if there's anything you want us to talk about in our next podcast. See you next time.